Hello there, woman beings, and welcome to another episode of The Woman Being Podcast. I am here today, as always, with my lovely, incredible, stupendous, serendipitous, amazing co-hosts, Kelly Hello. And Kellyanne. Hello, hello. And I am Emma. And we are here today with another Not Your Mom's Book Club. Woo-hoo. We are going to be reviewing the book Eco Womanism by Melanie L. Harris. Let's dive into it. This is Woman Being, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. Ladies. (laughs) Look at this book. Look at this book. It's deceitfully small. It is small but mighty. Small but mighty. So mighty. That's, That's for sure. Um, I'm actually curious, what does the print size look like on here? It's small. Oh, no, it looks normal. Mm, it's small. I mean, the footers are small. The footers are. The footers. I started reading the footers and then about oh. a third of the way through abandoned oh. that. I did not I didn't read the footers, footers at all. I'm going to be honest. There was some good stuff in there. Sorry, Melanie. I believe it. So, ladies, before we get into the new... The nerdy gritty. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this book... During Not Your Mom's Book Club, we always drink a beverage, mm-hmm. some might say. So, ladies, what are you drinking today? Oh, well, me. I am drinking Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't made a, a pact with myself to not day drink anymore. Mm-hmm. And day, in my mind, starts or ends at 5 p.m. And it is... It's 5.05. It's 5. So you should put, you need to spike that Sprite. <laughs> I've got watermelon vodka. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this is some Sprite. <laughs> nice. Some McCafe Sprite, well, specifically. in true eco-womanist fashion, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Kellyanne, what are you drinking? I am drinking a, I think it's, is it Coke? I think it's Coke. No. Dr. Well, it's Dr. Dr. Pepper. Sorry. We got a whole thing about this. I know. I already She's forgot. drunk already. I, <laughs> I decided to be adventurous and mix whiskey and Dr. Pepper. I don't know if that's an actual drink. Could be. But I've just never ordered it or, you know, heard, heard about anyone. it. So I just was like, well, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I can test that it actually is tasty because I have the same exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> We're twinning. Twinning. Aww. Love. Cute. Oh, this is not what I expected. We're spooning. Our hands are spooning. For those who are listening only, I held my hand out to her, and she put her other hand in backside into my palm. Spooning hands. Spooning hands. I was expecting, like, a Tarzan Jane moment, and instead she... This is happening. I would argue this is more intimate. What if I didn't want that intimacy? I'm sorry. Did you not consent? I did not consent. Please listen to our episode all about (laughs) consent in order to hear more about that. (laughs) So, that being said, might as well just plug ourselves some more. Uh, before we dive into reviewing eco-womanism, you, ladies, woman beings of the world and beyond, should review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a little follow on Spotify. Give us a subscribe on YouTube. Give us a, a follow on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We are in all these places as Woman Being Podcast. And we have a website, womanbeingcommunity.com. It's there. You can look at it. You can read some things. You can also access all of our content there. It's a great time. 
So um, that being said, do that. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your dog. Tell everyone that you know. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Please and thank you. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) So, (laughs) ladies, we are talking about Mm eco-womanism. I'm very excited. This was my book club pick. Mm -hmm. In case you guys haven't figured it out yet, we each pick a book throughout Mm -hmm. the season, and that's the book that we read. This is eco-womanism. Can I actually read what the underline is? Please do. It is African-American Women and Earth-Honoring Faiths by Melanie L. Harris. Uh, It has this beautiful, like, drawing illustration of this African-American woman on the front. And it was my pick because I'm trying to just, like, shoehorn some environmentalism into the podcast. It's about time, really, honestly. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about the Earth for a whole episode. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait. I'm wearing my overalls for the occasion, so I feel like a farmer. Mm, connected. <laughs> Super connected and grounded, that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, to give you folks who are listening, woman beings, a little bit of context... Uh, Dr. Melanie L. Harris, who wrote this book, is an associate professor of religion and ethics at Texas Christian University. Um, She is an author of multiple books and essays, uh, including eco-womanism, obviously. (laughs) And she has her PhD from Union Theological Seminary in New York City. Uh, She is a very cool womanist theologian who is basically an all-around baddie (laughs) is what I would say um but this book eco-womanism is essentially her almost like dissertation it feels like Mm -hmm. of um proclaiming what eco-womanism is uh the steps that sort of the the eco-womanist process goes through um both as like a theory and then also as a praxis which I actually had to google what praxis meant it means like practically ap- applying a theory, it essentially. practice. Practice. Yeah, pra- yeah. It's the same. <laughs> it was very so, annoying In practice, <laughs> a.k.a. praxis, which sounds almost the same. Uh, she uses that word a lot. She is obviously very deeply academic mm-hmm. and um, well-researched, and she is in the academic world as she is a professor and um, just does a ton of research. Mm-hmm. So it's a very meaty book, No pun intended, Um, because meat is not very environmentally friendly. (laughs) Um, It doesn't talk about meat at all. It doesn't. It actually doesn't talk about diet really at all. Um, But uh, the book essentially is her exploration of what eco-womanism is and then talks a lot about the ways that other womanist scholars... um, Teachings, writings, ponderings, whatever, um, also intersect with eco-womanism, feed into eco-womanism as a term that uh, I'm not sure if she coined the term, um, but she definitely isn't the only person that uses the term. Mm -hmm. Other people use the term as well. Uh, And so I'm not sure if she's the source of it or if she's just someone who's made some exhaustive content about it. Mm. Um, But yeah, so that's essentially... That's like the broad, it's like hard to summarize the whole book because it, it covers a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to dive into all the nitty gritty of things mm-hmm. within this book. So I would add, like, it's basically the, an approach to environmentalism from a African-American female perspective or womanist perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it um, talks about all the varying 
uh, I don't know, pieces of what makes a Mm-hmm. An ego womanist, inc- yeah, including yeah African American thought and religion and inter sharing of memory and faith, yeah, and um, how history and justice work. It's very intersectional. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I agree. It's a lot of things. Yeah. I think intersectional is the word yeah. for sure because yes. it addresses. So many, all of the big isms, you know, sexism and racism racism and literally all of the things that you could possibly social justice-wise address, it uh, approaches that from a very intersectional perspective and with the opinion or thesis, whatever you want to call it, of actually all these things can flow into environmental justice mm-hmm. and the exploration yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. It was a big one. It takes was. A, it takes a lot of stabs at um, colonialism and white supremacy and how our sort of dominion, domination mm-hmm. ways of thinking both affect problems that we see in environmentalism, not problems in environment, but problems with the earth that have been caused by this way of thinking in yeah. addition to um, social justice issues that have been caused by the same types of thinking. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of parallels there yeah. as well. For sure. For sure. And I actually, I feel like we're starting to, we're like tiptoeing around it. Um, but I was curious to hear from you guys based off of your reading of this book and um, sort of as you have been reflecting on it, how do you define eco-womanism as a term? I think for me, I would define eco-womanism as a very new baby to the concept and conversation. Uh, is basically You're the baby? me. I'm oh, the baby. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought you were saying that eco-womanism was oh, no, itself no, no, no. a baby of a concept. No, so I was just clarifying. I'm saying me. I am a baby. I feel yeah. like in this topic, basically. The importance of caring for others and the earth can all be wrapped up into one kind of umbrella term. Again, kind of like what you both said from the perspective of the African-American or African female. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it, it addresses a lot of things. It talks about eco-memory, which was a new word for me and understanding that. And, you know, like... And basically, like I, what I said earlier, environmental justice, um, social justice kind of all wrapped up into one thing. I mean, it talks about literally like everything, every wrong, <laughs> I feel like, or so, m- most wrongs. So eco-womanism as a term mm-hmm. is defining, is a term that addresses all of the wrongs, yes, essentially. It's, any Anything that violates personhood, yes. whether that is personhood in terms of like, People being violated or even, like, earth Earth. violations, Mm -hmm. animals being violated, et cetera. I think it talks a lot about beings, like, Mm -hmm. beings, period, and their ability to be. Yeah. Um, And are, are as mankind, specifically white mankind, um, removing that right from Mm -hmm. people, animals, the earth, Mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of my current understanding again i'm oh, it was a lot of information and i'm still like wrapping my head around all of it so For sure yeah yeah there's a lot of different steps to it and a lot yeah. of different like pieces of it and so like kind of wrapping it up in one thing feels 
daunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How would we define feminism? It's like a, it's a movement, a way of thinking. It's a um, set of beliefs. A so, mindset, sure. Yeah, a yeah. mindset maybe. And mm-hmm. I would say very similar, eco-womanism eco is a, it's a theory or a approach to life mm-hmm. yeah. um, that approaches environmentalism through the lens of African-American female experience um, in all aspects of that experience. So including history of African-American women, including um, connection to nature, including spirituality, including Mm -hmm. um, social justice work, including... um, relation to humans including the effects of white supremacy on black female bodies um and all of that is kind of wrapped into one as a holistic approach towards a more whole and universally respectful society is how i would define it i think yeah those are really great and um it's interesting because sometimes I wonder, like, are these terms necessary? It's like, oh, well, why couldn't we just, um, you know, reclaim feminism? Mm-hmm. Sure. Or why couldn't we just uh, recognize that feminism and environmentalism overlap mm-hmm. and, They're linked. and intersect? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, because there's also ecofeminism, mm-hmm. which, right. is, uh, which is also, a, like, a practice and a mindset mm-hmm. and whatever. But... Um, I've I've been intrigued by womanist thought for a while and um, have listened to uh, quite a few womanist scholars and um, I recognize the the desire to have a separate term that sets apart womanist from feminist because of the history of colorblindness within feminism mm-hmm. because of the history of exclusion of people of color within feminism and the desire to um, say okay well we aren't going to do that mm-hmm. we're going to be more inclusive more holistic and so we are womanists I actually googled the other day can white women be womanists <laughs> I've been wondering what the same came up? Yes. And can I'm white like, women be eco-womanists I don't, I don't know, know that we are like that that's something that we get to have, you mm. know? Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I didn't get really any conclusive answers on that. Mm. I don't know that other people are necessarily asking that question, at least not on the internet through a quick Google search. Right. Um, and so it seems to me like it's something that is more um, for uh, people of color to use as a, as a, as a tool for... Um, for explaining how they want to go about liberation mm-hmm. and how they want to go about um, being different from the way that the feminist movement has been in the past. And I will say that Melanie also quotes multiple women who identify as feminists. Yes. Um, and so I don't think that it's necessarily like animosity towards feminists explicitly or that like being a feminist is a bad thing. I think that it's more that... Uh, this redirection to a different term is a way to um, to call out that this is a little bit, this is different from the way feminism mm-hmm. has long been understood. Um, and I think that adding eco onto the front of that, um, because really womanism and feminism in themselves should also be eco. Mm-hmm. Like they should intersect with all these things and be concerned with liberation in multiple um, like 
multiple paths and in multiple spheres because they all intersect and affect one another. Mm-hmm. Like if you are feminist, but like don't care about the environment, you're harming women all over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, the, the term eco being added onto it, I feel like is also a tool to say, we are, we are calling to mind that this is something we're focused on. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that someone who just calls himself a womanist um, is not also environmentally minded, but saying eco-womanist is a way to, to call attention to that and be like, hello, this is front of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like, to me, it's, it feels like a, it's, it's a tool to help communicate this intersectionality that this book is all about um, and a way to uh, bring that to the forefront. Um, and yeah, I could say lots more things about it, but that's sort of my my understanding of eco-womanism. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like a theoretical philosophical book. It's mm-hmm. not as much a like practical application kind of book. But it is practical. But it is practical. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was so mad when I like looked up the definition for that and was like, it's just practice anyways Mm -hmm. whatever it's fine there was actually a couple situations uh, many situations i shouldn't say a couple there were many times reading this book that i had to like google words um same no shame in that Um, no i think you should if you feel like you're not understanding what they're saying (laughs) google what the words are we have the world wide web at our fingertips exactly utilize it you know um i even wrote down definitions in my kindle well done yeah so that i would remember in case i forgot so i googled um diaspora I don't know mm. if I'm pronouncing that right. I've always heard diaspora. Diaspora? But I don't know if that's correct. I Googled pedagogy. Oh, pedagogy, yeah. Oh, pedagogy? Yeah. That's okay. a good one. I Googled I think I anthropocentric. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, not in Anthropocene era is the era we're in. Yes. Right? That's what I Googled. I knew anthropocentric, but I'd never heard Anthropocene era. I also Googled Anthropocene. Yeah. So, and I think there's probably more. But yeah. pedagogy, I, I was annoyed by because. In the sentence that it was in, uh-huh. she said something about learning and pedagogy. And uh-huh. I look up pedagogy and it's essentially like learning. Yeah. And I was like, come on. So learning <laughs> and learning. Yeah. <laughs> Although I get it. I mean, I like using synonyms for words no, at times. And, and sometimes things. they can encapsulate slightly different yeah. things. But, but just forewarning, it is a very academic book. For me, what I found really helpful in it was taking notes as I was going through, underlining things. Um just to keep track of my brain as I like in the beginning of the book I had to read it out loud a little bit mm-hmm. like I went and sat in my backyard and let the cat run free yeah and um would read it out loud to myself and that helped me with like comprehension and then towards the end of the book I feel like I sort of started to absorb her rhythm and yes. her way of Mm. speaking and her voice and so then it was a lot easier to read yeah I couldn't tell I did the same similar I did a similar thing I read some things to James read some things out loud to myself but then I couldn't tell if her verbiage just got a little less academic or if I was like in it with her like I wasn't I wasn't sure I I feel like it's probably a combination of both because there were so many terms that we were introduced to at the beginning of the book like and what her meaning of them was Mm -hmm. and then like Towards the end, you're like, she's still using all those same terms. Yeah. It wasn't like she continued to introduce It's sort of, of like, okay, yeah. I've educated you about these things. Now I'm going to, like, talk to you about them yes. mm-hmm. a bit yeah. more. Yeah. 
I feel like we've really exhausted the definition of eco-womanism. <laughs> you know, we've, we well, not exhausted because really there's a lot to it. So if you want the exhaustive de- definition, you should read the book. Yeah, really. yeah. read the book, eco-womanism. That's the way to do it. Uh, but what are some of the things that hit home for you guys? What did you resonate with? What stood out to you? Mm. I mean, I can't lie. A lot of these concepts were fairly um, new to me. This is probably my first eco-justice focused, exclusively focused read ever. Yeah. So a lot of it was like me just trying to grasp the concepts overall. Um, something that I did, I mean, the very beginning of the book, I felt like I really resonated with as she was talking about her mother and her mother's experience of, um, gardening and the way she taught her, um, to sing to her flowers. And like, it was very ethereal, right? The way it opened up was very romantic, very ethereal. Um, and I resonate with that. I feel, um, a lot of love for the earth in like I love to garden. I grew up gardening. Um, you do have a plant lady hat. I or plant do mom hat. have a plant mom hat. Um, she loves a plant. Like I, so I loved that. I also loved her talking about learning how to sing African American spirituals because that was something I learned as part of my music education. And we had like a lot of reverence for yeah. the communication with African American spirituals and like respect. So that was really cool. I really liked her explaining eco memory. Um, Mm. even though I had a hard time connecting the practical application to the overall text, I kind of like had to grapple with that a little bit, but I like that idea, the concept of like inherited memory. There's a lot of interesting studies around that with, um, animals and, uh, historical trauma. And um, so I liked that she brought those things in. I thought that was very interesting concept. Um, And I enjoyed her explanation and exploration of those of that topic specifically. Um, But overall, I think I wouldn't say like I resonated with a ton of it because I was just trying to like understand. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, again, is from like the African-American woman perspective, Mm -hmm. which is obviously not my experience. What? (laughs) (laughs) And so, (laughs) um, so I did also like though, that she did mention, um, several times throughout the book, she would mention native American women as well. And so I appreciated her like tipping her hat, her little yeah. homage. Well, which you are part native American. As uh, very, well. sm- very small. I would say I come from, I have native American lineage. I wouldn't yeah. claim to be native American, yeah. but I have a ton of respect and love and appreciation for native, uh, communities mm. and, um, history and, uh, you know, I grew up hearing stories about my dad learning to hunt on the reservation and yeah. going to stomps. And, like, that is very much a, a very treasured thing in our family. And so um, I, I liked her tipping her hat to that as well. I think those are all the things off the top of my head. I did like a lot of further on in the book. I feel like she hearkened back to her definition of eco-womanism that she explained very long form at the beginning of the book. Um, which was helpful for me to actually reroute into the point, essentially, of the text so yeah. I didn't get lost because it was, like, summarized. And I was like, okay, thank you. Because it wasn't until, like, chapter two or three, I feel like, that she was like, this is the definition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, thank you. Because yeah. I was, like, yeah. having a hard time stringing all this stuff together. Um, so sure. I, I liked that she reminded you of those things as she explored different topics. 
But yeah, stuff that hit home for me. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to respond to a piece of, you had mentioned the eco-memory piece of it, mm-hmm. which um, essentially, well, let's see, where do I start? I think overall, the one thing that was most precious to me was seeing themes in some of the stuff that we try and do with this podcast mm. interwoven into this woman's theory of equal womanism. Mm. And um, there were a lot of special moments to me that like maybe confirmed the purpose in what we're doing mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. So um, that was precious. Yeah. And then in that, you want to say something, <laughs> just say it go for it. No, I actually have, there was a moment that I called out where I was like, this is what I hope woman being is. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And um, I want to read it. <laughs> But I'm going to cry. Um, I actually have a little piece of it that I underlined. And I, I wrote in my book, I'm like, woman being? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> the part that stood out to me that I pointed out, I literally, my note says, my hope is that woman being is this. That woman being is a term is this. And um, it is on location 1619. <laughs> Kindle edition. In the Kindle edition. Uh, it says... While womanism certainly praises communities established and maintained by and for women, it does not exclude men to the point of male bashing. This is important in the light of the fact that at the time that Walker was constructing the definition of womanist, many strains of white feminism being practiced were vehemently opposed to allowing men to participate in the feminist movement. The emphasis on both community and wholeness in the second part of the womanist definition points to Walker's, which this is Alice Walker she's talking about, value of community and wholeness for all, including all genders. Thus, the definition of womanist is gender inclusive. Mm -hmm. And I read that and instantly thought of woman being as the idea of um, being a way to acknowledge the humanness in all people mm-hmm. and um even though woman is in the name in the same way that woman is in the title womanist or feminine is in the title feminist it is about um liberation and respect for all mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and i like felt i felt very moved by that mm-hmm. like that that idea and that's something that i feel like we didn't even necessarily think of woman being as being mm. when we started this podcast and when we when Kelly came up with this name but I think that that's what it's come to mean for us mm-hmm. in a lot of ways is that it is um it's acceptance and yeah it's uh compassion and inclusion and yeah. so um that was one of the things that stood out to me in that. Mm. But sorry, I'm I not so commandeer good. your... I'm so glad, though. I have to just add to the group. I also highlighted it. It was like, <laughs> damn, that's really good. I can get behind that. I hope we do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's... Super, what, but circling back to eco-memory in this, I think what the reason that eco-memory, this idea of, like, recalling memories of African-American and Black, mm-hmm. um, like, stories and their... And, related to their um, relationship with the earth Mm -hmm. is so important is because in a lot of ways, the prevailing narrative of our history as a country is a very white narrative. And Mm -hmm. so um, what is considered truth or factual and what we learn growing up in our education system and 
in, you know, all the major books and in all the major media is a very specific story and a very single story. And it doesn't necessarily include, like, a wide gamut of wisdom brought forth by the African-American and Black communities that have been such a huge part of building this country that we Mm -hmm. live in and reap the benefits of. And so... um, that to me resonated because one of our core values as a podcast has been this idea of uplifting stories and holding a platform for the voices that are lesser, less heard yeah. um, and helping to um, bring forth new ideas that are not that, that may be counter to the prevailing narrative in mm-hmm. main spaces. And so um, I can see why that is such an important, crucial piece of womanist and eco-womanist um practice Mm -hmm. but also like i think it's so important in general like we see hollywood moving in this direction we see a lot of like more mainstream things moving in the direction of telling the stories of the marginalized and in that telling like we elevate our society i think Mm -hmm. um but so that was one piece of it and then another piece of it that i wanted to bring up was um in the chapter Eco-Womanism 101, where she's trying to kind of explain the um, entire concept. But um, she brings up African cosmology and how um, a lot of spirituality is woven into varying African backgrounds. Um, But um, African cosmology, the act of witnessing the Earth's beauty that Hooks describes is evidence of a relational connection between the earth as the beautiful being honored, observed, and enjoyed, but not consumed by the witness, the being. And so sort of this like reference to like the being, the human as being, and we are all a part of this like ecosystem of beings. Mm -hmm. And we have this honor of observing this beautiful earth and our relationship to her is... Actually, so much more profound than white um, colonial thinking has raised me to understand. Mm. And so um, something foreign to me, but also something very beautiful to me mm-hmm. in in like sort of starting to think of the earth as more a part of me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like as a community, more a part of each other. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was where I wrote. I wrote woman being in the margin. Aww. Just the idea that like woman being is not just, you know, an individual, which I think has been my probably more like default definition of it. But woman being is like us being together and mm. we're all part of one. Yeah. One. Yeah. Thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that at times like with our, at least for me, with my, you know, white colonial upbringing I will feel um like I want to like uh have like a knee-jerk reaction to the idea of like earth as um a being Mm -hmm. or animals as beings or all these things and um like I I don't want to like this is not really the time to dive into the nitty-gritty of like you know do animals have souls or yeah. the, that kind of thing which i think is the christian question sure, often right. and um i i have my own conclusions about that uh, i think that that's irrelevant in this conversation because they are living beings mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm. no matter like you can't deny that mm-hmm. and um 
You actually made me think of uh, another section. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of the books <laughs> you guys probably today. You guys don't even need to get the book. You just listen to this podcast. Listen to this podcast because I have so much underlined. I'm like, but still get the book and support um, her. <laughs> yes, but you should. You should. You should support this amazing scholar of a woman um, and buy her book. But um, in location uh, 1558 in the Kindle edition, she says... Um, She's referencing uh, someone who uh, – she references a lot of different people. I'm trying to see who is she referencing here. I think it is Dorsetta E. Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, she suggests that honor, agency, and worth ought to be extended to parts of nature so that trees, birds, lakes, rivers, mountains, and streams existing in safe sanctuaries such as public parks cannot be torn down and polluted. And um, it was sort of like serendipitous that I was reading this while also um, starting to try to really educate myself about um, indigenous people, especially in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been listening to a lot of content about um, the tribes in Northern California. And uh, there was an episode of a podcast that I listened to called... um, West Coast Water Justice, uh, and uh, it is a great podcast, very informative, um, and the woman who runs it interviews all sorts of people who are involved in um, water justice work uh, on the West Coast, where we are, um, <laughs> and uh, there's an episode all about land rights mm-hmm. in it that this made me think of. Um, I think land rights are really fascinating, this whole idea, mm-hmm. because sort of the premise of this podcast episode was that if corporations and companies get rights and can be seen as human beings, then why can't the land also? Yes. Um, and there have been multiple court cases that surround this. Um, in this episode that I was listening to, she interviews attorney Doug Obeji. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. I'm really sorry if I'm not. I didn't check beforehand because I'm a we bad know you're listening, Doug. person. <laughs> um, but he talks about how if corporations who get rights like freedom of speech um, or who where the law treats them as a legal person and says um, they have the standing to sue and to be sued without the people within that corporation receiving any of the repercussions, mm-hmm. um, then why couldn't land also mm-hmm. operate under that, that understanding of the law, which is honestly, well, we won't go into what I think about that law. <laughs> I mean, it almost, feels, it almost feels like our land that we all live in and we all depend on. Like, we have a very symbiotic relationship with the earth. Like, yes. we're very dependent on one another. Yeah. And um, it, it seems kind of crazy that we would place more, I don't know, value on a corporation than we would our earth. Like, yes. the earth seems to need, like, more representation than a, a corporation. Yeah. Like, as it sustains all of our lives. I would agree. <laughs> I think, personally... I would strip corporations of those rights, and I would give those rights to the land. Um, (laughs) But that's my personal opinion. That is not necessarily the woman being opinion. But that's my hot take on that. I just wanted to (laughs) share that with you guys because I'm almost done with my drink. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, it's this idea that like 
for example, if, if a dam is going to be built mm-hmm. and is going to disrupt an entire ecosystem, is going to flood an area and totally change the way that that river system works and the way that that water operates, mm-hmm. the way that the fish that migrate across that water are able to move mm-hmm. and to live, mm-hmm. if that's going to be affected, then shouldn't they get the same rights to be advocated for and to have someone step in and speak on their behalf mm-hmm. um, when obviously, you know, the water cannot speak on its behalf in the Supreme Court, but a person could. And so um, it's this idea that like land rights are something that it seems based off of the current understanding of the way that the Constitution and the amendments to the Constitution work under the Supreme Court, that land would receive those rights because corporations do. Mm -hmm. And so that was really fascinating that and it was it was cool that I was listening to that while also reading this. It felt very serendipitous is the only word that I can use for that. Serendipitous. Yeah. What a good word. Yeah. I don't think she used that one in the book. But yeah, I think, <laughs> I think along those same lines, one of the other things that hit home for me was, um, and I've always heard of the earth referred to as like mother mm-hmm. or or whatever, but or source. But the idea of like the earth as a being and also even drawing the parallels between the way that we've treated the earth and the way that our again, colonial white supremacist supremacist mindsets have informed the way we treat the earth and mm-hmm. how that parallels with the way we treat human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, like, it's very clear, or at least it feels that way in reading this book, there's such a root issue in how we devalue other people and other beings and our land and the the creatures within this earth um, for the sake of our own gain. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, the definition of, like, subdue the earth yeah, is yeah. very destructive. Yeah. And yeah. the destruction we cause is only a problem when the complaints get loud enough, honestly, and that's mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, it should be, like, we should be acting in consideration first. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually don't. We don't yeah. operate that way. For sure. Yeah, I felt, I would say I for sure... It's it's settled in after a little bit, but like the feeling of guilt. Um, again, I was very like preoccupied and consumed with trying to grasp all these concepts and mm-hmm. very academic language. Um, I'm dyslexic, if you guys, if the listeners don't know. So I was actually really impressed with my comprehension, but that's where most of my energy was going while reading. Mm-hmm. But like after well, the you're fact, super smart. thank you. <laughs> after the fact. Um, there was a lot of guilt because a lot of a lot of what was sitting in me was like, man, like we brought African people to the United States. We took them from their land and we took land from Native Americans and like pushed them out of their home, ripped someone else's from their home and said, figure it out. Like this yeah. is the system. And obviously, like I know that. Right. Like logically, I learned about it. I know about it all the things, but when you're breaking it down um, under the umbrella of eco-womanism and all the injustices that take place mm-hmm. um, in in that realm, like you're really leaning into the pain mm-hmm. of someone else's experience through this kind of a read. And I think that like there was a lot of grief, a lot of feeling of guilt, mm. a lot of sadness that I felt. And that's, those are things I already feel. I feel like anytime we talk, 
about like more heavier things like this, but um, much more so for this because mm-hmm. it was so in depth and so like, well, and this is directly related to this, and this was because of white people, and also this is also because of mm-hmm. white people, mm-hmm. and it's it's just like oh, it just like hurts. Super painful. It's so painful, and it's like she talks a lot about like making. Um, towards the end of the book, she talks about making amends, um, essentially, and, like, righting wrongs. And I'm like, but how, basically? Mm. Like, I think that's what I left the book with of, like, the but how question. Because I'm mm. like, she doesn't spell that out for us, and I don't think it's her job to. Yeah. Um, but it was like, like, you can't make that right Yeah. is, like, what I would – Say, like, if someone did that to me as a person, like, yeah. no, we're not making anything right. Yeah. I think that you can't make it right. You mm-hmm. can't go back in time. You can't right. change what has happened. But you can you can try to do better. Right. You know, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Like, you can try to be different mm-hmm. from, your, from your ancestors, from mm-hmm. even those that are here now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And... I think that her connection um, between uh, African people's bodies and the earth Mm -hmm. was something that I had never linked. Mm -hmm. Um, And that felt very, it felt very much so like an epiphany for me. Mm -hmm. Um, As she talks about how like African women's bodies were violated and Mm -hmm. were raped in order to produce more, in order to create more slaves for um, more productivity Mm -hmm. and for more use and abuse and exploitation of white people Mm -hmm. by white people, Mm -hmm. not of white people, but for more white people to exploit and use the product of these white women, these black women's bodies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly, actually very similarly, uh, People took, exploited, used, raped the earth and said, we are going to use you for our own purposes. The only way that you're useful is Mm -hmm. when you serve the purpose that I have in mind for you. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I have been learning a lot about in in gaining more perspective from indigenous people in our area. Um, In listening to content from them, it's this idea that uh, land is only useful Mm -hmm. if it serves your purpose when, in fact, land is, is always, quote-unquote, useful mm-hmm. in that it, it, is, it is there, that yeah. it is being, that it exists, mm-hmm. and that it is, um, it is providing all that it needs to provide without you coming in and putting your influence onto it. Um, and then there's, there's actually a quote that I, <laughs> of course, want to read, where uh, one of the moments where this felt very... Um, very relevant to me. Uh, It's in location 425 in the Kindle edition. She says, gendering the earth as mother opens up a gender critique as the logic of domination that subdues the feminine in the culture is revealed. A focus on gender in womanist analysis is paradoxical in that it simultaneously uncovers an innate solidarity between women and the earth. And, um, one of the thoughts that I that came to mind for me as I read this was that the the paradox here is that while gendering the earth as female gives us this like unique kinship with the mm-hmm. earth, which I think both of you have touched on, is mm-hmm. this idea that like 
we feel deeply related to the earth. Mm -hmm. We feel love for the earth. Like I literally only have, not only, I have mostly tattoos about the earth on Mm -hmm. my body because I feel so much connection to nature. And um, I think women feel a lot of that connection um, to this like divine natural um, being. Um, But this connection also gives patriarchal systems license to subdue the earth in the same way that men subdue women Mm. and like and then specifically even further the way that african women have been subdued and sexualized and exploited and Mm -hmm. seen as pure property Mm -hmm, pure utility Mm -hmm. and um I hadn't made that connection in recognizing that, like, I knew factually, like, growing up, you learn about how um, slaves were considered, you know, three-fourths people Mm -hmm. and how um, they were property. And we've Mm -hmm. also learned about how women were property. Mm -hmm. We've learned about these things in school. But then recognizing, like, property means land. Mm -hmm. Property means earth. Property means a space that you're taking ownership over. And so we have all of this, like kinship with earth Mm -hmm. as women african people have all this kinship with earth because they've been forced into it Mm -hmm. um and i think that was like it was just sort of like a yeah (laughs) like i don't know how just like it was just my mind was just blown as i read that um in in connecting this thing that i've heard for so long but never thought about it in that same way Mm -hmm. because the, the excuse of property gives you license to utilize that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that actually, I had never really drawn that connection either and underlined a lot of different sections that um, that talked about that. And mainly the thing that hit home for me was the mindsets that allow for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I, I grew up around animals. My mom trains them. And I've, I've always kind of had an understanding um, that... Or maybe not even understanding, but I've always, like, I'll keep an eye on people because watch the way people treat their animals and you learn a lot about them. Yeah. Um, And if they don't treat their animals well, they're probably not (laughs) going to treat people well. And Mm -hmm. in that same – and so I've always just known that because I I have a a really, I would say, deep connection to animals. I love them and Mm -hmm. I always have. Um, Yeah. And it makes sense that, of course, that would extend to – the earth like mm-hmm. how you treat people but gets how you treat animals but gets how you treat earth and and back up mm-hmm. the chain is the, this idea of like having respect for the sacredness of what like literally sustains our life mm-hmm. you know and um especially as like uh with the analogy of mother you know like <sighs> mother will sacrifice a lot to Mm-hmm. You know, for you to thrive, right? They'd do anything. They'll die for you. Um, yeah. But when we grow up, we have to then return that, like, sacrificial love with very deep respect mm-hmm. um, for what was done on our behalf. And I mm-hmm. think um, – so I think in that, the earth, she's resilient and she's very sacrificial, but also, like – we have to grow up as a society and and give her the respect that she's due because right now she's not in a good state. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, it, it feels like the people that talk about it, the scientists that continue to purport the same information 
just continue to be ignored. And it, we prefer profit over like living for the yeah. next 50 True years. True human flourishing, <laughs> I would argue. Um, we, yeah, we prefer making a dollar it's over, like, mm-hmm. you know, the well-being of the world. It's like we're all, all collectively putting in our bets for the, like, the destruction the of, the of our own race yeah. and yeah. the earth together. Because the thing is, the earth will keep going. Right. But we might not. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the perspective that I'm I'm at. <laughs> like, there's... It, this is self-destructive. Mm-hmm. The The earth is resilient, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, she is powerful and able to con- carry on. But she's also able to weed out when there's a virus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that might be us. <laughs> and that's, yeah. like, I, that feels, like, extreme to say. But I, yeah, that, no, it's yeah. the way it is. No, it's fair. I mean, similarly to what you were saying, I grew up with a deep respect for the earth and yeah. and like the idea that I don't know just them her spelling it out so clearly in the book and like I've just always kind of thought of the earth as sacred like mm-hmm. that is like like the idea that she is mother she is holy like she is good um all that and and I think the idea that like you said correlating the earth to a woman's body that has been violated, I think, is something really interesting to chew on that I'll mm. probably think about for a while. But um, I think, like, I was like literally even a few weeks ago telling James, isn't it so weird that we, like, cover the earth with, like, this material we call cement? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that bizarre? And he's like, well, yeah, but, like, cars wouldn't move, like, if we didn't do that. I was like, but, yeah, but, babe, listen. We are ripping up grass, leveling out dirt, and then putting, like, a hard surface on top of it. How bizarre is that? Like, we're just putting a blanket on the earth. Well, and cement is, sounds a lot like semen. So, really, it's the patriarchy. <laughs> it's always the patriarchy. It's always the patriarchy. Um, <laughs> that was obviously satirical. But also, I've thought about that before. <laughs> I mean, it's just, anyway, I just, I don't know that I have a point. I'm just like, yeah, obviously the earth is sacred. Like, mm. I don't. Like, my uncle is, like, an environmental lawyer, and his job is to basically be like, no, you can't build here, because guess what? There's an endangered woodpecker that would be displaced if you were to build here. So, sorry, find some different land. And yeah. it's very, like, where I come from, it's very common to think of the earth, the, the earth as sacred. And so, I don't know, just her spelling everything out is just kind of like, oh. Like, again, mm. I just have a lot of information to chew on for a while, and yeah. I think it's... Yeah, it's going to be a huge learning curve for me in general. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, first of all, like, I appreciate that you guys took the time to read this book that I feel like was pretty different from other stuff that we've read Mm -hmm. on the podcast and um, was something that I, I saw as a way to sort of, like, introduce this idea of, you know, environmentalism into our our canon <laughs> what an introduction and, it was yeah and 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 i mean i hadn't read the book either so i didn't know to what extent it did that and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. but i really appreciate you guys taking that time to do that and to like dive into something that might have felt um uncomfortable or felt mm-hmm. uh out of your depth or whatever um 
there were definitely times that I felt exactly the same way, um, even though I'm steeped in a lot of environmentalist uh, content a lot of the time. Uh, but I appreciate you guys doing uh, that. You're welcome, but thank you, because there's no way that I would ever have read this book <laughs> if it had not been a group decision with yeah. a deadline. Yeah. There's just no way it would yeah. happen. Do you know what it, I mean? It is, it is a hard book to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like... There's a few more things that I want us to, like, dive into and talk about, but I feel like we've been sort of dancing around this one thing, and so I want to go into it first, um, Mm. which is that idea of Mm. eco-memory, especially, Kellyanne, as you've been bringing up, like, these, this history that you've had with, um, with the environment and with, um, your, your family being uh, involved to an extent with indigenous community and, and Kelly with your family and growing up with uh, um, animals and growing up on the farm and um, you've had so much interaction with nature. I'm curious if there were any like eco memories that came to mind as you were reading the book or anything that, um, that it just sort of resurfaced for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I I just misread dirt in general. You from, misread dirt. I misread dirt. I I in Oklahoma we have a lot of red clay in our dirt. Oh, you misread dirt. Yeah, I misread. I thought you were dirt. saying that you misread dirt. Oh no 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 like, no! Like as in you read dirt incorrectly. <laughs> I misread dirt. Um, you you wish that you were with red dirt once again. I do. I mean. I, there's something like that I really have always loved about Oklahoma dirt in mm. it. Like as a kid, you go out and it's muddy and your your jeans get stained red and that's just how it how it is. And um, I miss like having like real weather. <laughs> mm. Like it, here in California, it's very like chill. Like it's well very temperate. It's like hot and fire season, and then it's like fine. Yeah. The rest of the time. We have, like, a month or two of, like, actual kind of cold. And so I miss, like, having full seasons. I miss Mm. tornadoes, actually. I miss storms. I miss storms. And, like, like real weather. Like, where you feel like like the earth, Mother Nature, whatever, is, like, throwing a fit and you just get to, like, be there. Mm. Um, It feels cleansing. It is. And you feel the electricity in the air. It's powerful. Something makes you feel like you always know when a storm's coming in. Like always. You can feel it. You can smell it. Um, And so I think that's something I really miss. I think I've always felt like I can't quite connect with California in general. And Mm. like it makes me emotional actually like I just like miss my homeland is how I feel um I miss like how sweet the wind used to smell and um you know walking through a field of grain or you know whatever it is so I think in general it just like the idea where she was opening in the book of a lot of people a lot of um, African-American people going back to the South because they feel a deep connection with that. I was like, yes, I understand what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't say like exclusively I have an eco-memory. It's just more like um, like a hearkening back to like, oh, yeah, that's where I'm from. That's yeah. like the beauty I used to live in. I used to be mesmerized by like – 
our beautiful big magnolia tree that grew in our front yard. And I would sit under it and read and in the grass and in the red dirt. And it was just the best. And so I wouldn't say that it's like, this is my eco memory, but more like a, a longing to be back in like a geographical location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I I don't know if there's any specific eco memories that came up for me while reading the book. Um, however, I would say the main things that I remember or that came to mind are like bare feet on grass. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was a lot more connected to just like being barefoot running around in the grass and like yeah. rolling around. I remember my when we moved up to the farm, um, there were sandburrs throughout the throughout oh, yeah. the grass. And there were like sections of the yard that were much worse than others. And so I just like learned how to walk like barefoot in sort of like a C shape. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With my feet. Yeah. And you'd sort of like get to wherever you needed to go and like pluck out a few sandbars and then continue on your way. Wow, that's <laughs> resilience at its finest right there. <laughs> but um, and then I remember actually when I was even younger, my mom had a garden and we used to like plant flowers and mint and tomatoes and things like that when we were young. And I do remember doing that with her. I remember our um our fence had morning glories mm. all over it. And so in the beautiful. summertime, the morning glories would bloom in the morning and they're beautiful. I think the lakes are a big thing for me because Minnesota has lakes everywhere and that's mm. just what you do in the summertime. And so being out on the sand, being in the lake, being in the water, that's um, was meaningful for me. And then um, the last one that comes to mind is like, Again, barefoot, but um, we lived on a dirt road and we had a pretty long driveway. And I just remember like running out down the dusty road, yeah, like to the mailbox to get stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's, t- I could probably go on now that I'm, now mm-hmm. that you got my brain thinking about it. Yeah. But, but yeah. Yeah. You guys are like bringing up eco memories for me, <laughs> even mm-hmm. like as you're talking about it. Cause it's like, for me, growing up, like, nature was so much a part of my imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember we had this, like, big, like, willow-like tree in our backyard Aww. that, like, created almost like a cavern within mm-hmm. itself. And my friends and I would go inside of that, the trees overhang, and we would create whole worlds under there. Yeah. And we would play pretend. And... Um, my friends and I would would go up to honeysuckle flowers and we would oh, pull them apart yes. and suck the mm-hmm. the the what is it the nectar s- the nectar yeah. of the flower and it was sweet and it was delicious and that was like part of our yeah. our play and um, my every year my dad and I would uh, create a garden together mm. and like we we would go out into our backyard and we would we would dig into the dirt and we would plant all these things together and we would watch them grow throughout the season and that was what made me fall in love with with sunflowers because they were tall like my dad and I wanted to be like my dad. Yeah. And so yeah, like I would run around barefoot in the backyard and I got ringworm from doing that, but I didn't <laughs> care. Like <laughs> uh, it didn't matter because I wanted to go out and play and um, it like helped to raise me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that's, like, as an adult, like, the biggest thing I crave in, like, owning land, owning a home. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I actually want to create magic for myself again. Like, I want I want a magnolia tree. I want a weeping willow. I want, you know, that that connectedness that I used to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean... Yeah, like I spent I spent so much of my childhood just up inside of trees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was one of my favorite things to do is to go up inside into a tree and but there was another eco memory that came up as I was reading the book that felt particularly revelatory to me and that that is very intersectional for me. And it was actually in 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 the start of the book, uh, after she sort of gives the introduction, she goes through the seven steps of eco womanism. And um, we can talk about those more in our critique section. But uh, the the fifth step talks about how um, this one author, her her last name is Adu Yuye. I don't know that I'm saying her name right. I'm really sorry if I'm not. Um, But she links to uh, Christianity and recognizing the earth as sacred. Mm -hmm. And um, a really vivid memory came back to me as I read that uh, from when I first became a Christian. I was 15 or 16 years old, um, and I went to a conference with my church uh, that was a Christian conference, whatever, it's irrelevant. And uh, we ate lunch in the parking lot together as a church. And at the end of the lunch, I walked around and picked up everybody's recycling because everyone had these cans and bottles and stuff. And I was like, I can pick these up and recycle them. Um, And there was a bit of tension uh, between my beliefs as um, an environmentalist um, and my beliefs as a Christian, because I actually was environmentalist way before I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. That was a reality in my life long before God was part of my life. And um, there was a lot of climate change denial in the Christian environments that I was in. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember this story and I was wondering if you would bring it up. Yeah, I think I might have told it on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But I think very if briefly, I have, then this is the long version. Hear it again. <laughs> I like it though. Listen to it. <laughs> um, so I gathered up everyone's cans um, and I wanted to recycle them. And my pastor's wife actually questioned me about this. She was like, why are you doing this? Um, and she is such a sweet person, like genuinely one of the nicest, sweetest people that I've ever known. Mm. And um, I got the, the, the vibe from her in that moment of like, but you're not one of those crazy environmentalists, right? Like that was sort of the, that was the, that was the, the way that I read it. Mm -hmm. And I quickly assured her that my environmentalism was rooted in God's call (laughs) for us to steward the earth and that we should care for this place that God gave us regardless of whether climate change was real or not, Mm. but that we are stewards and that we should take care and we are responsible. You know, we don't get exempt from responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came, I literally made this up as I said it to her. I had never thought about that before. I, like I said, I was like 15 or 16. I was dumb. And so <laughs> in that I had very little life experience, very little pondering, very little deep thought that was going <laughs> on in my head, you know? And um, 
I, as I said that, it, like, became true for me. Mm. Um, and I came to this realization as I was saying this to her, um, and this realization has stuck with me from then on, that um, my passion for environmental justice is in no way incongruent with my faith, mm. that, um, that they're one and the same. That there, there doesn't have to be any distinction between the two because um, eco-womanism, eco-feminism, um, and Christianity um, or faith in general, because faiths in a broad speaking way are meant to, to, to bring about, you know, human betterment, right? And human betterment and environmentalism can't be can't be torn apart from one another. Mm-hmm. They are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. And so that was like an eco memory that like rushed back to me where I was like, oh, this was like when I decided that environmentalism was absolutely a part of my faith in God. Mm-hmm. And um, that felt very, very pivotal to me. It actually, it felt as I was reading uh, part five of the eco-womanism sort of steps that she lays out, it felt the way that I felt while like reading the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, it felt very much so like this is, um, this is a revelation from, from the divine. And this idea of eco-memory is really powerful. Kellyanne, you, you sort of talked about what what was the purpose of eco memory in this mm-hmm. or like what 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 is the the reason to bring this up um but one of the the things that melanie says in the book is how um to care for the earth is to care for the self and vice mm-hmm. versa we, we can't care for the earth without caring for ourselves mm-hmm. um and we can't care for ourselves without caring for the earth mm-hmm. and so um, I think that eco memory is a way to remember how deeply we do care for the earth, is to remember how deeply connected we are to the earth. Because I think that, um, especially like childlikeness, very much so lends itself to um, f- recognizing and um, truly feeling our connection to the earth. Because mm-hmm. as we get older, all these things like, you know, making money and being successful and um, tamping down other injustices uh, sort of start to flood our minds and our concerns and the environment, the earth, this this divine being that was so much part of our childhoods like takes a takes a back seat and I've I've been guilty of that where it's like I oh I, I forgot this like this first love that I had mm. you know. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I find, like, you sort of talk about, like, caring for self is caring for the earth and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Um, There's actually tons of therapeutic benefits to caring for the earth. Like, gardening has huge psychological benefits, as does, like, working with animals. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And you see people, like, or even having houseplants. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. even caring like for houseplants things. is like it's really it's really important. Is people with PTSD, people who are um, working through trauma, working through grief, working through any sort of myriad of you know issues that life brings, have found healing 
um, deep healing in caring for the earth, whether that's through gardening or having plants in the house or, you know, Mm -hmm. taking care of a cat or, you know, I love working with horses when I can, you know, there's, um, there's a deep spiritual significance there that actually like brings healing and, um, yeah, I don't know. The earth, she's got a lot of benefits mm-hmm. if we yeah. are willing to mine them. Yeah. But, like, uh, mine is a hard term because it's, like, that implies stripping, right? Sure. I, I, I know that's not that's not your intent in that, but it's funny because it's part of the way we talk about it, right, is we'll yeah. say, like, we're mining the earth and that we are stripping resources. And um, I do the same exact thing, you know? It's hard to find ways to talk about the earth that are not hmm. – anthropocentric that are not human centered that are not centered Mm -hmm. on like how we benefit and how we can gain Mm. um which is fascinating just and there's i don't have a solution you know yeah but i think like without human benefit what are you know what are we doing right like it has to be beneficial because we're symbiotic right there is no existence or relationship with the earth that you know like does not mutually benefit both mm-hmm. unless one is like yeah. doing harm to the other yeah but right. it either mutually benefits or mutually destroys yeah. yeah really yeah i mean and i think that is that's the hope right the focus of like how can we actually coexist and come alongside the earth i've been going on a hunting education uh deep dive deep deep dive um and a lot of you know people that do hunting to, one, feed themselves and their family, to um, help with, like, overpopulation because that's a huge thing. Like, a lot of these larger animals um, don't have predators or um, they're actually stamping out other uh, species. Or, let's get real, like, a lot of them die really horrible deaths. And um, so, like, learning that and, like, how how do we – create systems that actually work alongside the earth, don't harm the earth and don't, and are ethical all around for all beings. Um, and I think that's been the most interesting thing, learning from good hunters that actually really care about conservation, care about taking care of the planet. They're like, it should hurt you actually to take an animal's life. Yeah. Like it's not actually comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I would argue hunting is one of the most environmentally friendly ways to consume meat. Mm -hmm. Um, But something like overpopulation of of deer is actually also a consequence of human interference. A lot of it is us. Because, um, for example, we nearly nearly exterminated the population of wolves in the United States. And so natural predators were eliminated for the sake of our livestock. And therefore, natural... Um, or not natural, but wild uh, populations also grew mm-hmm. and overpopulated. And totally. so we get tons and tons of deer mm-hmm. in the United States because they don't have the natural predators they used to have. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, as you keep going back, it's like, yes, this is a more ethical way to consume um, to consume animals, but it's also a product of 
the way that we've treated the earth in the past. Totally. Like um, Axis deer is a perfect example. It's from Africa. It doesn't belong here, has no natural predators, and they're in the south of Texas. And like, is this a breed of deer? It's a Axis breed of deer. deer. Axis oh, deer. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a huge problem that a lot of conservationists, a lot of ethical good hunters talk mm. about mm. often. And they're like, guys, this is like why we can't do these things, basically. And yeah. it's it's more recent that the population has just exploded. And it's a huge problem. Like, there's so many of them. Um, and so I think part of part of that is also, like, how do we cre- correct what we have done yeah. or what has been done? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, too. Just thinking about it that way of, like, how do we actually come alongside and partner with the Earth, partner with the other populations? Yeah. I mean, I think that... Um, there's so many things that I would love to dive into that this book talks about that they, that Melanie, along with all the other people that she references, dive into. Um, I think that recognizing our, our, you know, guilt, Mm -hmm. um, our, that we are culpable in all of these acts of environmental injustice while also striving to move forward in a better way is so important. And I think that that's, that's what you're hitting on there with, with um, these hunters. Because it's like, oh, we brought these, these deer over from Africa, but now they're here. Mm-hmm. And now they live here. Mm-hmm. And now this is their home. Mm-hmm. And so how do, we, how do we steward this well? Mm-hmm. How do we um, coexist with them well? Mm-hmm. And um, because those deer... I mean, those deer didn't get a say in that, you know? Yeah, they, they didn't, didn't do anything. They didn't, they're they're making the most of the situation they were handed, yeah. essentially. They have happy, large fields and no predators. Yeah. <laughs> they live yeah. a stress-free life. <laughs> and there's so much I would love to touch on between, like, <sighs> there's a term that eco-womanism, the book, introduces called life system mm-hmm. that I loved, which is a way of, of thinking about, um religion and spirituality that I relate to a lot in terms of of thinking that uh, you are um, you're thinking of religion in a much more exclusive inclusive Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. and um, there's there's so much that we could go into so many rabbit trails I could go down but ladies I want to hear from you what your critiques of this book are. I feel like we've, we've like barely, we sort of brushed a little <laughs> gentle brush against what some potential critiques could be. But I want to hear your critiques because, I mean, every book has its, its pros and cons, you know? <laughs> I don't know if there are actually any critiques of this that I have other than what I've already said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's short but dense. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like they're, the language is highly academic, which is great. She's very smart. Um, I used to have to write papers like this in mm-hmm. college, and I would make them sound as smart as I could, and my professors loved it. So mm-hmm. I understand that there's like a, a reverence for that type of um, communication. I would love to see a more, like, 
accessible, practical application approach to eco-womanism as a way of life. Because um, I think we started like getting into that territory of like, what do we do about meat and soil and recycling and things like that? But eco-womanism as a book doesn't really address any of those specific things. It's more so like um, the the mindsets and theories and cultural ways of thinking that like inform how we make decisions about those types of specifics um which honestly i don't know if it needed that maybe because there's so much literature out there about how to care for the environment but um as a i don't know amateur environmentalist um if it felt like maybe a few steps ahead of where i'm at Mm. um as far as like environmentalism goes as far as um being introduced to African American and black ways of thinking and like how, um, intersectionality is a huge piece of the puzzle. I think it was super great. Um, so I really value that. Um, and I would say my takeaways probably lean more towards not in the environmental conversation from this book at all. It'd probably be more so like the, um, the cultural historical, and justice-oriented pieces of it that resonated with me most. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't have a ton of critiques. Yeah. Yeah, I would say similarly, it was not the most accessible book. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that she meant it to be accessible. I think that she is a scholar writing for scholars mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, I think that the way that she sort of dove into these like steps of eco-womanism right at the start of the book felt quite jarring Mm -hmm. to me. It felt like, oh, we are diving straight in and I still don't know that I really know what eco-womanism is, but Mm -hmm. you're telling me the steps of how to apply it. Mm -hmm. And that felt like, oh, I don't know what's happening. But then There was a lot more, which we touched on this, there's a lot more clarity as you go towards the end of the book of like, oh, this is how this connects and this Mm -hmm. is how this connects. And Mm -hmm. these things are all applying to one another. And so I don't know that I know the better way she could have done it in terms of setting the stage because she the the sort of like ground setting that she does at the beginning does set the stage for what we read later on in the book. Um, but I did feel a bit just sort of lost in the beginning or mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, I don't get what this really is, mm-hmm. though. You're telling me how to use something, but I don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. So that was my thing. Um, and Yeah, like even I think it's like chapter six that we learn what womanist is yeah. officially. Yeah, you know? and, yeah so. and I mean, and I, I was thinking about this as I read it because I was like, well, I know what a womanist is, but I don't know that you guys know what it is. <laughs> and I'm worried that you're sitting here like, what the heck is she talking about? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and it's not, like, a common term that people just, like, come in contact with all the time. Yeah. So um, it's not something that the, the public necessarily would know, like, this is what womanism is. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we don't get the definition until quite late into the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have similar critiques. I, like you said, she's a scholar. She is an academic. It is heavily – It well, I don't know. A lot of it – Like I said earlier, the book starts out very ethereal, and then it jumps into the more academic, and that felt a little jarring to me. 
Um, it, and this is a critique that I have of other academics. This is not the first one, but mm. it felt like she was writing this to impress her peers. Um, and because of how much like academic language was packed in, and obviously that that speaks to her education, her experience, her research, and all those things, which is valuable. But I'm like, like, what is a, a normal person normal? What mm. is like the average person supposed to get? Like you said, she might have not written it for this. This book does feel a little bit more advanced to me in the ter- form of like eco education. Um, I think the organizing of some things felt a little off because like we all, I think, said is towards the end of the book, you hit a rhythm and you're like, okay, I'm tracking with you. I get you. You kind of have to just trust the process. Yeah. Um, I think I also, I said that I really appreciate her nod to Native American Mm -hmm. experience. Part of me also felt like a, a little prickly when she would say that, not because I didn't like that she wasn't bringing it up, but that it was kind of looped in with African experience or African-American experience. And I'm like, I don't actually know that that's the same thing. She herself, I believe, is a fourth native. Um, I think she says earlier in the book. So part of me kind of wishes that that had more space if she was going to incorporate it. Um, What else? I had another thing. I do the, her, her, Talking about indigenous peoples was very interesting. I think that I can see how there is the intersection of African thought and indigenous American thought in that they're both peoples that were displaced from their places of origin by colonizers Mm -hmm. in some respect and who were forced to adapt within that. Yes. Um, And I think one of the things that was super valuable to me that she brought up was sort of breaking down our stereotypes Mm -hmm. around indigenous peoples, whether that be indigenous Africans or indigenous Americans. Because there's so often this idea that like, oh, well, the indigenous people know the absolute best way to take care of the land because all they care about is the land. Yeah. And yes, indigenous people of Africa and of the Americas have a lot of respect and connection to the earth and to the land. Mm -hmm. But that also doesn't mean that they singularly have all the answers about that. Totally, Which is actually something my dad has brought up to me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad dated a Native American woman for a long time. I spent a lot of time going to powwows with her and my dad and different things i hated her anyways not because she was native american just because she was dating my dad but um, (laughs) the the point of that is he's brought up a lot of times like well like there were times where native americans like totally messed up these populations of animals because they hunted them too much or different things like that and that Mm. would always make me feel very prickly. Mm-hmm. I would feel very like, oh, you can't say that because we we committed genocide yeah, against Native right. American people. Like, who we can't say that they did something wrong mm-hmm. because we hurt them so deeply. Yeah. And um, this book brought up a lot of that in me and feeling the tension of like, okay, yes, like we should not assume 
that because people are indigenous that they have all the answers. Mm-hmm. But, and this book also recognizes this, is the, the idea that um, we need to have um, diverse thought mm-hmm. across the board when it comes mm-hmm. to um, eco-solutions, mm-hmm. you know? We need to listen to indigenous people totally. and to colonizers yeah um we need to listen to all the ideas because we need communal effort and and a holistic view of how to help the environment and how to be good environmentalists Mm -hmm. um and i think that the stereotype that like oh indigenous people have all the answers about the earth is harmful because it shows them a single faceted totally and that's not true and it also emphasizes our disrespect for what they have contributed, right? Like, it's sort of like, oh, well, they know, but mm. we don't value that. We're not seeking that out. We're not elevating them to positions of power or asking them to run, like, government initiatives. So yeah. it's sort of, in some ways, it feels like a patronizing, mm-hmm. yeah, like, sort of like, oh, well, they're good at that, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, they can stay over there and, like, totally. love their earth. And, you know, in our Christian, you know you know, white-centric narrative, you know, like, we don't need to worry about that because the world's ending soon anyways, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it pushes all that responsibility onto that people group as well. Yeah. Like, well, it's your responsibility to have the solutions. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair. And so yeah. that's, again, I appreciated her bringing that up. But, again, mm-hmm. it was just that internal, like, oh, yeah. like, I actually don't know about that. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, it it felt prickly to me, Mm -hmm. and I would love actually a similar book from the Native American experience and perspective. I think that is equally valuable and deserving of space, Um, and maybe that's what it, what was being brought up in me. Um, I also wish, because the subtitle is African American Women and Earth Honoring Faiths, I actually wish she dove a little more into how that is manifested. She talks, you know, a lot about theory and praxis Mm -hmm. and um, those things. But I think kind of like what Kelly touched on is practical application, also like practical example Mm -hmm. of like, Mm -hmm. oh, actually, I wish I could know more about like how the, what those earth honoring faiths actually manifest as. Mm -hmm. it made me more interested to learn. And she touches on some things. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, even at certain points, she she mentions uh, voodoo. And I've mm-hmm. learned a very small, basic understanding of what voodoo is. And it's fascinating. And I'm like, actually, I would love to know more about how those women part and men actually partner with the earth in that spiritual practice. Um so I think those are a few things that come to mind. Overall, I did like the book. It was very mind-expanding for me, but I was also kind of like, I think she starts off assuming the reader is at a certain level of understanding. Sure. I was not there, so yeah. I felt like I was ke- playing catch-up. Yeah, um, which maybe some of that is is on me because no, I, uh, I sort of like it's said, all good. let's dive in head first. No, <laughs> and that's but great. But in some ways, like, we both caught up by the end. So I feel yeah. like, yeah, like like Kelly said, trust the process. Mm-hmm. Um the book, you know, is very dense. It's also very short. And so yeah. there's a lot of, you know, conversation mm-hmm. left to be had, I think. Totally. So um, 
in that way, I mean, it's just an introduction, I would say, to eco-womanism as a spiritual practice or Mm -hmm. a theory or mindset. And I did like it from that perspective. A lot of theory, right? And Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, research and, like, groundwork. And uh, I think, um, again, from, like, a a layperson perspective, Mm -hmm. um, I would have loved a little more practical you know, spell it out for me. <laughs> sure. Uh, but again, like it's it's beautiful. It's clearly a work of a labor of love, and mm-hmm. she's well educated, knows what she's talking about. She's got there are pages where literally more than half of it is a footnote. So yeah. <laughs> you know, like she she knows what she's talking about. It was just I kind of was left with like, but now what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and I, yeah, and you want the answers, right? Oh, of course do. I do. You do. Fast track me to success, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I will say uh, to to uh, your point, Kelly, about uh, talking about not putting um, indigenous people in charge of um, these things. One thing that's really cool, actually, is that we have right now our first Native American. Um, head of the Department of Interior in our United States government. About time. Um, she's part of President Biden's cabinet. Her name is Deb Holland and or Holland. I don't know, really know how to say her name. Deb, we know you're listening. She, We're so sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry, Deb. <laughs> um, but she is a Native American woman from New Mexico, and she leads up the Department of the United States government that interacts the most with Native people. Mm. And um, actually, in the same podcast I referenced earlier, West Coast Water Justice, they talked about sort of the irony of um, being able to go back in time and tell, like, George George Washington, that a Native American was going to lead up the Department of Interior, and it was going to be a Native American woman, and how wild that would be to Uh, him. That stirs (laughs) up some feelings. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that all that to say that there's hope. There's some progress. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we we have to. Like, there has to be hope because, I mean... A podcast I told Emma about this a few weeks ago. Like a podcast I was listening to is talking about our soil depletion and how mm. like we're set to Oh, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. We're set to not have like workable soil in fifty years. Mm. There's you know, and it's and it's not like a theory, it's like happening, mm-hmm. you know. And um my father in law is a farmer. Um his dad was a farmer and I think maybe his dad was a farmer and um on my mother in law's side her her dad's a farmer. So um, m- Ross and I are set to inherit some land at some mm. point in our lives. And um, what that means and what we're going to do with it is like on my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and actually speaking of, you know, bringing um, indigenous people and, and just more environmentally minded people into the government and into, um, what it looks like to be a nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's one other thing that I really wanted us to be able to touch on. And that other thing, uh, is something that I hadn't ever really made a connection to. Uh, but, uh, Harris talks about how, um, like Martin Luther King Jr.'s work was so deeply environmental mm-hmm. um, and talks about how he recognized that uh, the need for environmental justice so was so deeply intertwined for, with the need for racial justice. Um, and then she brings up the example of, of Eric Garner, um, who... Um, 
I think we're all very familiar by now with the sentiment of I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. It's a sentiment that um, we've heard multiple times now Mm -hmm. from African-American men who whose lives are taken. And um, she draws the connection in this to Eric Gardner's death and his sentiment that I can't breathe um, with the fact that he also had asthma, Mm -hmm. which is something I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And how that connects to the way that the environment that he was in affected his ability to breathe and his ability to live a full life. And it just really... It gave me a very visual connection to the ways that our impact on the environment really does intersect with um, something like, you know, police reform Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, getting rid of racial biases. Um, Those things truly are connected, even though sometimes they feel really far apart Um, because the, the fact that Eric Gardner had asthma um, that was linked to his the environmental um, sort of trauma that he experienced along with his fellow African Americans in his area um, was directly connected to the fact that he was then killed <laughs> and that his breathing was restricted um, and I and I mean, George Floyd was in a similar situation Mm -hmm. with that. And this book was written before George George Floyd's murder. Um, But it 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 rings true still. And it's it's so deeply saddening that there's still that happening, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that was a really important link for me um, of recognizing that Racial justice and environmental justice are so closely linked. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that I'll just go ahead and say this was sort of my, like, final takeaway from this Mm -hmm. was um, the intersectionality of all of it. Um, That's something that a sentiment (laughs) that I've sort of, like, lived by for a while now is that um, resolving environmental justice is a way to resolve all injustices. Um, And it's not to say that we solely focus on environmental justice, but that we can't have environmental justice without focusing on other injustices. Mm -hmm. Um, And that uh, poverty, (laughs) racial inequality, uh, gender parity, uh, classism, um, mental health. White supremacy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those things... Um, intersect with environmentalism and harming the environment harms every single one of these uh, every single one of these veins of injustice Uh, there's a line in the book that reads social justice is earth justice earth justice is social justice and this line is really simple uh, but it feels very all-encompassing to me. Um, it It is the sentiment that made me feel so deeply moved to want to advocate for the earth, um, to want to live in a way that advocates for the earth, to want to live in a way that 
that is preventative of harm rather than perpetuating of harm. And so I wanted us to also touch on that, um, that intersection of racial justice and earth justice um, because there are so many links that she made that I wouldn't have even known about, mm. you know, mm-hmm. that um, aren't addressed uh, because we think of things in such a non-holistic way. Mm-hmm. We aren't thinking big picture um, when we hear news about another black body that has been murdered. <laughs> um, while that is traumatizing and crisis-inducing in and of itself, there's so much that we need to consider and recognize um, the multifaceted way that a conclusion like that has come, um, that the conclusion of a life has come. And so um, all that to say, (laughs) I would love to hear any of you guys' final takeaways from the book. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to pull a... Um, a passage, an excerpt from the book, um, which is from Alice Walker. There's a lot of amazing references to the work of Alice Walker. Um, yeah. But she writes in the engaging transformation section because our chapter there's a there's a chapter about like how does this change who we are? Like mm-hmm. wh- how do we become? Better. But yeah. she said, the type of love that informs activism reflects my mother's love of beauty, the well-tended garden, and the carefully swept yard, and her satisfaction in knowing everyone in her environment was sheltered and fed. In essence, the assurance of communal well-being, the value of mutual love and respect of the earth support an ethical imperative for earth justice in Walker's work. And so this idea of... Um, a mother's love and mm. ensuring that number one, the yard is cared for because the yard brings sustenance yeah. so that the, everybody can be fed at the table is, is sort of this idea. And we, we can't think of it in our small community. We have to think globally and we have to think um, across racial barriers and we have to think across class barriers and um, that sort of, kind of coming together is I think one of the only ways that we're going to I mean I think that is the hope that I have in mm-hmm. um, solving this environmental crisis solving racial justice issues whatever is sort of this communal holding of hands together we all have to choose that no one is going to leave the table hungry mm-hmm. if um, if we're going to have progress yeah I love that there are several, a few passages I would like to read. Um, the first is, I think what was beautiful to me is in this book is the marrying of uh, spirituality and caring for the earth and caring for the self. <laughs> and it says, the purpose of religion is to order our relationship with both fellow man and with our environment, both spiritual and physical. At the root of it is a quest for harmony between man, the spirit world, nature, and society. And I think for me that really kind of simplified it and boiled it down to one thing because overall I was very much like swimming in all of the isms and injustices. And I think having something to harken back to, at least for me, is very helpful. Um, 
And then I really love this as well on page 117. Um, pushing the boundaries of the feminist, wow, feminist, <laughs> the, feminist, the feminist movement to be uh, conclusive of race to of race. Two primary discourse grew out of this the struggle: black feminism and womanism. The term womanist was coined by Walker to distinguish the complexity subjectivity of black women and to help explain why they're in insistence of the acceptance of their whole selves, racial, economic, gender, sexual identity, and more was important to acknowledge if true social justice was to be achieved. And I think for me, that is something that is very helpful to keep in mind. Um, Again, just something to hearken back to of the whole self, um, the togetherness idea. And then finally... On page 119, there's a section called The Womanist Dancing Mind Method and Interfaith Womanist Dialogue. And I really loved the idea of the dancing mind. And she really kind of expounds on this concept. And I felt like I really um, resonated with that as someone who's naturally very curious and constantly searching out and um, exploring. I think it's really important to be intellectually curious. And um, Toni Morrison, I believe, Mm -hmm. is quoted, um, there's a certain kind of peace that is not merely the absence of war. The peace I am thinking of is the dance of an open mind when it engages another equally open one, an active an activity that occurs most naturally, most often in reading slash writing the, the world we live in. Um, the concept of the dancing mind can be summarized as the creation intending to of an embodied space of peace in which minds meet and dance in openness with one another. Absent of harsh criticism and judgment so often associated with religious dialogue in which one tradition is attempting to convert the other, the dancing mind is a kind of mutually enhancing engagement of thought, creatively writing in the style that is reflective of this kind of mutuality. Um, And so those are my three kind of takeaways. The idea of peace in the sense of I am not trying to convince you of something. I am openly engaging with you. I am understanding the black female experience in a different level and also the melding of spirituality and physicality. And I think for me, those are the three things that kind of were my takeaways and the things that like really set nicely in my soul. Um, Again, I will probably be sorting out the rest of the text for quite some time, but I think if those are my three things I kind of come back to and anchor in, I think I feel like I'm not going to float away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That whole, that concept of the dancing mind, that really hit home for me as well. In, um, first 
she talks, she tells a story about um, a Christian and a Muslim woman who are dialoguing about how to bring justice to women's bodies Mm -hmm. um, through their own religious perspectives and are in no way trying to um, convert one another, but rather to collaborate with one another. Mm -hmm. And that was beautiful. And then um, just this idea of um, the dancing mind being um, a way of, of religion that uh, is like agency creating, mm-hmm. that is actually um, this idea that um, religion is a way for me to ground myself, to root myself, um, and uh, to receive guidance. But it's not um, it's not my you know uh, crusade. Mm-hmm. You know, it is actually my way of of centering. Mm-hmm. And I loved that sentiment. Mm-hmm. But uh, ladies, <laughs> is this book Woman Being Approved? I mean, of what course. do you think? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, again, I hearken back to what I said at the beginning. Um, so much of this book put to words some of the things that I feel so passionate about and some, and, and that passion <clears throat> has resulted in what this is, mm-hmm, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel a lot of solidarity with the concepts behind it. And I also feel um, a further level of education on the topic. I, there's a lot that I don't know still and am continuing to learn. And um, I fully appreciate the opportunity to listen to voices Um beyond my own experience that that don't resonate quite the same way as my white um experience does so um yeah i think 100 percent it's woman being approved i think it should be a woman being staple mm-hmm. woman being staple i mean yeah it's all the things that we talk about it's just more researched <laughs> really well and it also it also you know obviously connects all of them in ways that maybe we haven't and it's very eloquent and so many footnotes and all the things, but I'm just like, yeah, these are like the important things. And I think even to push it a little further is like, it addresses a lot of, not a lot of, but some of the ugliness in feminist movement mm-hmm. yeah. and um, the response of the womanist movement, yeah. which I think is really important, especially for feminists, yeah. um, whatever ethnicity or background you come from, to actually be educated on like we're not we're not all perfect mm-hmm. and it's it's a learning process and so i think um finding hearing those experiences and finding ways that we can partner with our womanist and eco-womanist sisters and brothers is uh really important to uh empowering each other mm-hmm. yeah i think that again the, there's not necessarily a um, an exclusion of like feminists right. from this, but it's um, it is a, a different approach um, and a redeeming approach, mm-hmm. and I think it's a guide for us as self-proclaimed feminists to find ways to continue to be intersectional and to um, incorporate other women in and. Um, you know, like we said towards the start of the episode, like that's what we strive for a woman being to be. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like 
I would approve this for one game. <laughs> um, Very much approved. Yeah. Yeah. This is it, – it's great. And it, yes, is not like, you know, the easiest read in the world. <laughs> but at least it's short. Yeah, it is <laughs> yeah. short. Um, 150 pages. I think that in the Kindle it said it's only like a six or seven hour read total. And so it theoretically – should and that's based off of what Kindle perceives my reading speed is, which okay. actually is fairly slow. Um, but it no, no, I think that's that rings about true for me. I think yeah, it's about, it was about an hour a chapter. I'd say yeah, except for chapter two, that one was really long. But I think that one was like were, half the book. other ones were like <laughs> yeah. shorter. So yeah, you know, it evened out. But I would definitely say woman being. Stamp of approval. If you haven't read the book and you've made it to this point of the episode, we've probably spoiled a lot of things for you, but I would still recommend reading it. Totally. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because there's so much that you can reference within it. There's so much we didn't even touch on that I wanted to touch on. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, this will be, you know, fodder for so many more conversations, I feel like. Melanie L. Harris, you know, if you want to come hang out and have an interview, uh, we're a fun time. So, and we liked your book, so why don't you come hang out? But can't use the word praxis. Yeah. That is the word praxis, is a, it's on the blacklist. <laughs> no, I like it. Maybe I'm going to start saying no. praxis. I'm going to say mm. pedagogy. Ooh. Oh, my God. Maybe I'll throw in a little anthropomorphy. Uh, I don't think you said that right. Now that you said it that way, I can't think of that. Diaspora. <laughs> Diaspora. Diasporic. Diaspora. Diasporic. <laughs> Anyways, um, all that to say, ladies, ladies, Ooh, thank Emma. you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for taking the time to read this book, to dive into some eco-womanism with me. Mm-hmm. I, um, one of my goals this season was for to get us into an environmental-focused episode, and I'm so glad that we did. Um, in the nick of time. Yeah, in the nick of time. <laughs> wrapping up the season. Yeah. Um, I am so glad that we've had the opportunity to um, dive into a, a perspective that is so um, different and yet so similar to ours mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that Melanie... Harris um, took the time to write this book and to gift us with her beautiful, beautiful brain. Um, <laughs> again, Melanie, if you want to come, we on know the you're podcast, listening. We come know on. you're <laughs> come, come on, see come on, on. Yes, we're here for you. Um, we actually did just get an author of one of our book reviews on, and that was a huge win. Yep. So yes, so you never know. I don't know you if it's know. out yet or if it's about to come out. But you should listen to our episode with Linda K. Klein because Absolutely. it's a good one. Um, she said some really, really great things. Um, and it was a privilege to hear behind oh behind the doors of the author's mind of an author that we reviewed a book of. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, all that to say, uh, we hope that this sparked some thoughts for you um, that all the intersections of environmentalism with every other kind of ism that you can think of uh, was enlightening or affirming to ways that you've already been thinking about things or was um, a challenging thing to to open up new perspectives for you. Um, we hope that uh, this will, will get you guys thinking about how to be you know, 
a better partner with the earth. And um, ladies, I'm so thankful that I get to partner with the both of you. Aww. And, um, that we get to sit here between our two plants. Um, are, some would argue our other two co-hosts of the podcast. <laughs> been here from day one. They've been here since day one. It's amazing. Our beautiful alive. little plant buddies. Um, we love them. <laughs> and all that to say. Um, we hope that you'll continue the conversation on environmentalism and eco-womanism, eco-feminism, and everything in between, upside, down ways, and every other way that you can think of it, on our Instagram, Woman Being Podcast. Um, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast uh, platform you prefer. We would love to hear what you think of this, and we would love to get you guys' book recommendations and topic recommendations. Yeah, uh, please do. Yeah, we'll be seeking out new books in the next season, and um, we want to know what you guys want want to hear our opinions about and mm-hmm. what you want to hear our reviews about um while be it while a bit tipsy yeah so, <laughs> put our brains to work yeah yeah uh so thank you for being with us today thank you for sharing this space with us um and we will catch you guys next time bye bye